Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of XFS Returns, Jack and I talk about conviction. Conviction is essential in successful long-term investing, but sometimes conviction can fail you if you're not able to see the other side of the argument given new facts. So there's a balance between having conviction in things that are likely and having less conviction in things that aren't. We use Bitcoin and Tesla as examples here. Thank you for listening. Please enjoy this discussion around conviction. All right, today we're going to talk about something that's, I think, very important to have um, when thinking about what works and how to be a successful investor, but also something that uh, can fail a lot of investors, or if you have too much of what we're going to talk about, it can actually sometimes be a bad thing. And that's really just um, the concept of having conviction when you are um, an investor and how conviction can be a very, very important ingredient to long-term success, but at the same time, it, you know, it can be bad in some cases if you can't sometimes, and we'll talk about a lot of this, if you can't see maybe the other side of the argument or, or other things. So um, maybe to start, Jack, we could, let's just kind of talk about, you know, the importance of conviction, why it's essential um, for certain different types of investment strategies and or certain times in the market. Yeah, this was this was a difficult article to write, and you know when I wrote it, you gave me a little bit of pushback because conviction really is the most important thing in investing. I mean, there's really not anything, you know, what strategy you select, which factor you follow. Those are below conviction in terms of their importance. I mean, if you can't stick with it during the ups and downs, and, and anything, you know, unless you're an, an investor in Rentex Medallion Fund, I mean, anything is going to require your conviction at different times because it's going to either lose money or it's going to underperform, and your ability to stick with it during those is going to be essential to, to being successful. So to write an article is sort of taking the opposite. Side of conviction is a tough thing to do when it's the most important thing in investing. And so you, you had had some revisions when I originally wrote the article to make me maybe tone it down a little bit because conviction is so important. And, and I think that's I think that's true. I, th- I think it's the most important thing. And I think the more volatility is plays a role in your investment strategy, the more important conviction is because the more of those ups and downs you're going to have. So if you're just following the S&P 500, you don't need as much conviction as if you're following something like value that's going to be much more volatile and also have these periods of underperformance. So sort of the more aggressive your strategy gets, the more this conviction becomes important. Um, and in, the other thing about conviction is it can even make it can even take a strategy. You know, I wrote about uh, dividends a while back, and I, I was sort of negative on dividends, you know, based strategies in general. But it can even take a strategy that might be an inferior strategy, and can it can make it a better strategy for a certain person if they have conviction in that strategy. So, for example, I was talking about how there might be better ways to build, you know, a, a portfolio that generates an excess return using value than a dividend-based strategy. But if, if you as an investor believe really, really strongly in dividends, then you're probably better off using a dividend-based strategy, even than some sort of value composite that might, you know, test out better because you're going to stick with that dividend strategy when things go bad. So I think conviction is the most important thing in investing. And uh, hopefully I, I want to sort of start out the article by talking about that before we talk about some of the downsides of it. Yeah, a couple of just things to build off that. I think one of the ways that you can establish or build conviction um, is by you know educating yourself around whatever it is you're doing in investing. So I mean, one of the things that I think has sort of changed for us over the years is you know we've really tried to emphasize you know education and helping 
investors that we work with sort of really understand and learn about our style, our way of investing, because the more you can educate someone, the more conviction they'll have, especially during times when a strategy um, isn't, isn't working. Um, the other thing uh, I'll say is that, you know, sometimes you can have a lot of conviction and be right, but you can be really early. And, you know, there's always like a time horizon part of it where, you know, I think back to things that I was, I've read over the years from different people I follow that may, may have had maybe a bullish or bearish view, you know, ultimately, and they kind of stuck to their guns, they stuck to their sort of arguments and, you know, and they were making a lot of sense, but they weren't right then and there. So, you know, that time sort of preference aspect of conviction is also something to sort of understand and, and, and think about. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah, you, conviction, you know, conviction, and this sort of gets into the, the, what we're going to talk about now, which is the downside of this, which is, you know, you talked about being early, you know, with conviction and, you know, that, that happens sometimes where you can have high conviction that something's going to happen, but your, your time frame is not right. And so, you know, as much as like the, there, there's examples where something ends up being a great investment, but it loses a lot of money. You know, or you see this a lot with shorts a lot of the time. You know, shorts have high conviction that, you know, a stock's going to go down, but the stock triples, you know, before it goes down. And in that case, you've lost all your money. You know, anybody who was shorting GameStop recently will know that. You know, they might have had high conviction that GameStop was a good short. And maybe eventually in the long term, GameStop will end up being a good short. But it doesn't matter. Anybody who's attempted to short GameStop, you know, in this period has lost all their money. So it doesn't matter that they had high conviction that GameStop was a good short. Uh, yeah, so I think one of the... A point you brought up in the article around the, the the part where conviction can fail you is you, um, you know, you miss the other side of the argument, and I'll let you expand on that. But I do think that that's it's that's very tough. If you make an investment, or if you buy a stock, or you place money with a manager in a mutual fund, and you've made that decision, you know, but something changes maybe with um, with how, you know, what's going on in the market or you're just, you fail to see like the other side of where you might've been wrong in your belief or your conviction. So, but I think that's very hard for investors to do because if you've taken the action to do something, you obviously believed in it at the time. Um, but by the way, the best fork forecasters out there, the best ones that are um, more accurate over time are actually the ones that can change their forecast based on the data and facts. So I think like when the data and the facts sort of um, uh, support maybe the other side of the argument, that's when your conviction needs to come down and you need to adjust your thought process. Yeah, I mean, those of us that are value investors probably know this all too well right now. You know, if you if you have something you believe in, you believe the data supports you, you follow people who agree with you. I mean, th that's great to have conviction in the long in long term, you know, over the long term in value investing. And, you know, we, we probably will end up being right. But. That also leads us to say, all right, we don't pay attention to the other side of the argument as much as we could. We might miss something that's completely obvious, you know, that's on the other side of the argument. You know, we, we might make too big of a bet. You know, some, someone who believes in value might make their, you know, bet their entire portfolio on value when maybe a smaller bet was more appropriate. So that's when you get into the downsides is, is you don't necessarily see, it, it sort of blinds you that what you believe is the only possible outcome and you don't see maybe some obvious things on the other side. And an example I used in the article 
um, was was me with Price to Book. You know, back in you know, whatever it was now, you know, 2014, 2015, you know, I was writing articles in support of price to book. And, you know, the way, the way I looked at it is, well, the academic research primarily uses price to book as the metric they judge value by. So that, that's got to be correct. So I need to defend price to book when it's struggling. But the reality is, if you, if you take a look and say, well, why did the academic research use price to book? You know, it used it because it's widely available. It's easy to get for long periods of time historically. It has low turnover. So this was not the academic community endorsing price to book as the best value metric. This was other reasons leading to them to use price to book. And then also on the other side of that, you had this reality coming that intangible assets were becoming more and more important for companies and price to book doesn't account for those. So I had too much conviction in price to book. But when I looked at when you when you take a look back now and you say, well, why were the academics using price to book? And also what what are the arguments against price to book? I have a lot less conviction now. So that's an example of my own, you know, in my own investing career of having too much conviction in, in a specific thing. You often write up your articles, you know, you kind of do take the other side of like, we have core beliefs here um, and, you know, an investment philosophy and we think about investing in a certain way and we actually execute it the way that we think about it um, systematically. But, you know, you've a good, done a good job um, since you've been writing articles around sort of taking the other side of the argument on different things, like to this point about, you know, price to book, like you're kind of acknowledging here. Uh, of his shortfalls, but I'm just wondering, what is your, this might be a tough question for you to answer, like, is there a, a good way to sort of think through taking the other side? Like, what is your process in terms of trying to um, uncover where the blind spots might be or where the weaknesses might be in your own convictions? Because um, I, I personally, I, I, I can't really do that a lot of times. I, you know, I sort of have convictions and I sort of stick to them and I can't think about the other side. So is, is it just as easy as just really being thoughtful and thinking about what the other sides of the argument are? Or do you, do you have something specific? You're, you know, how do you think about it? Well, first of all, the price to book thing is kind of what got me there because that, that was an example of when I didn't do that early in my career. And I said, all right, going forward, I need to, you know, I need to be able to at least look at the other side. But, you know, to be honest, I don't know if I've done that great of a job of it. I mean, I did write, you know, one of the most read articles I ever wrote was this case against value investing. But at the end of the day, after I wrote the case against value investing and looked at all the arguments, I was still in favor of value investing. And that's, that's really the hard thing about this is that this is very, you know, when you have these high levels of conviction, you know, do you, if, if if you look at the other side and you still think what you what you have the conviction in is true, then you want to continue following it. But there's no way to evaluate that process. That's really hard to say. So if I write an article against, you know, or that looks at some of the arguments against value investing, but I continue value investing, you know, did I do a good job of really looking at the other side or was it just for show? You know, I just wanted to show myself that I was looking at the other side. So it's, it's very, very hard because most of the time, you know, as, as a quant, the types of things we're going to have conviction in are things that have very long-term track records and they've proven themselves over time. So for the most part, you want to keep that conviction. You know, you don't want to be constantly changing your mind and saying, all right, my conviction in this is gone. But you know, over time, it still is, it becomes very challenging to think about like, how much evidence does it take to overturn that? And have I given enough weight in that evidence? And you know, I'm still not very good at it. I mean, I do write articles about it, but I don't know that I've necessarily changed my mind that much. So I'm not sure how great the process has been. Okay, well, I guess it's just the process of going through it. And then it helps confirm or, you know, your, your, your conviction in like what you what you have. Um, one of the other things that I know we want to talk about was the um, uh, sort of, and I think this is a good way to look at like different styles of investing. We have like systematic investing, which is really just trying to maybe get small wins across a wider set of securities versus like fundamental or discretionary investing where, you know, those investors take a much bigger bet on positions. Um, for example, if you look at like Buffett's portfolio, you know, he 
at least over time, has taken, you know, pretty big bets on um, ideas or companies that he has a lot of conviction in where, you know, when you're a systematic investor, you're, you're not doing that. You're really like, like for, for, you know, our portfolios, we're, we're effectively equally, equally weighting um, those positions. Um, but then the other side of it is, you know, when you have um, less conviction, you want to take even a lower, smaller bet in something. So that might be a way that investors can sort of think about if you're buying a stock um, that you really don't have a lot of conviction in, but you still are interested in, in maybe, you know, buying the company because you think something's there, then, you know, you probably take a smaller bet in something like that just because the conviction isn't as high. There's this idea of when is conviction good and when is it bad? And I think the probability helps you sort of figure that out. So let me give you an example. So let's say I have a lot of conviction. I'm, I'm saving for retirement. I'm going to buy an S&P 500 index fund. And I have a lot of conviction that 30 years from now, I'm going to have more money than I have right now. Well, that's something um, conviction is not going to really fail me or it's very unlikely to fail me in that situation. I mean, there's no examples in market history of ever not having more money after 30 years. So, you know, it, that type of conviction is very good. Now, when we start getting down to lower levels of probability, that that's when conviction can fail you. So, for instance, you know, one of the things I, I reference in the article is Tesla and Bitcoin. And, you know, we don't want to get into bashing, the, you know, Tesla and Bitcoin or thinking about it. You know, we've already sort of bashed our own conviction in value investing. But if I'm a big believer that Bitcoin is going to be the world's reserve currency or something like that, well, what is the probability of that? It's not, you know, 99.99% like the stock market being higher, you know, 30 years from now. It's something less than that. And, and when I have conviction in something that has where there's a significant probability on the other side, that's where it can really fail you. That's where it's really important to say, all right, well, what are the arguments against what I believe? And, you know, I've, Annie Duke's work has really helped me with this. And she has sort of said, you know, don't ever say, like, this is true or this is going to happen. Say, speak in probabilities. So say, all right, I think there's a 70% chance this is true and I think there's a 30% chance this is false. And when I look at it that way, then, then I'll start to focus on the 30% and say, all right, what are the situations that it could occur in that 30% that would make me wrong. And so in the example of something like Bitcoin, you know, the government, you know, governments could step in. There could be some sort of hack. I mean, I'm not that much of an expert in it, but those aren't zero probability events. And so if you're a high, you know, if you have a high level of conviction in something like that, you've got to look inside that other side of it and say, all right, what does the world look like when I'm wrong? And then what do I want to do in terms of how much I'm betting on this based on the probability that I will be wrong? Yeah, that's like what Arnott did with Tesla. He basically looked at Tesla's valuation and tried to look at how much would Tesla have to grow in order to back into this valuation that we're, you know, it's currently valued at. And it was something like, I don't know what the number was, but it was basically like almost inconceivable that Tesla is, at least with under its current business model, and maybe something changes with batteries or other stuff that, you know, they're working on other new innovations. But you know, with the current business model and the current growth rate and the current valuation, like there was no way that you could sort of, um, you know, get to that level of valuation just given what the future growth had to be. So that's another example. That would probably be a low probability. Again, we're not, this isn't like a, a this is just, you know, citing someone else's research, but that's an example of, you know, probability that might um, not be likely. That's a good example, too, because there, there are people on the, you know, the bulls for Tesla who believe there is a 100% chance 
the Tesla is going to be a huge, you know, produce huge returns in the future. You know, they, they believe it's going to dominate electric cars. You know, it's going to take, you know, take out all the competition. They believe it's going to get into all these other areas like insurance and, and other areas they're not in. And this is just going to be a massive company that's not going to necessarily be a car company. It's going to be more of a, you know, overall type technology company. So the point is, I'm, I'm not going to argue whether they're right or whether they're wrong. But if, if I have that 100% conviction in Tesla, and then I look at something like Rob's argument where he pulls that apart, you know, I can't assign 0% chance of success to Rob's argument. And, and that that's what people tend to do. And that, that's the downside of conviction is I, I believe in something so strongly that even when somebody like Rob comes out with a well-reasoned argument that maybe I'm wrong, it's not saying 100% certainty I'm wrong, but maybe I'm wrong, I can't assign any probability to that outcome because I believe so strongly in what I believe. And, that, and that's where conviction fails you. Yeah, so hopefully in just kind of closing here, I mean, like we started out the podcast, conviction is essential. It's very important to long-term success in investing. Um, it's you know even more important when volatility increases, and it's important when you're sort of trying to follow um, an investment strategy or a style of investing because ultimately they don't always those strategies don't always work. But to get the long-term returns, you have to you know stay disciplined and have conviction in the strategy. But like we've also outlined. There's also times when conviction can fail you and you just have to be mindful of of being able to see that and understand it um, because when things change or you're not seeing the other side of the argument, that can also be uh, bad for investors. Yeah, like we talked about before, I think the key here is to say, what are the chances that I'm wrong and try to evaluate that honestly? You know, if, if it really is something like I'm investing in the stock market for the next 30 years, what are the chances that I'm wrong? You know, that that's the chances you're wrong are almost zero. So you can have very high levels of conviction. But if it's something less than that, it's really about being honest with yourself, you know, being honest about the probabilities and then betting appropriately, not, you know, not betting the farm on something that has a 20% chance that you're going to be wrong. So I think that's the important thing is to keep the sort of keep the, ch the chances that you're wrong, you know, in context and, and to keep the probabilities in your mind as you do it. So you're telling me that my prediction of us getting to 25,000 viewers on YouTube is my conviction in that is wrong. I think my conviction on the other side of that might actually be right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I, I, I would say that's probably a 0.01% probability. Yeah, I agree. But for those that are watching this, we hope you guys enjoyed it and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at jjcarboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube, or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.